Welcome back to Clydesdale Media, where we bring you the best from the world of CrossFit. Podcasts, news, special interest, health, fitness. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button. Hit the notifier so you're the first to know when we have new episodes. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Clydesdale Media Podcast. My name is Scott Schweitzer. I'm your host. I am here with Amy Radowski, and Kat Shear is behind the board doing the producing today. Um, and we have a very, very, very special guest today, the man himself, Adrian Bosman, programmer of the 2022 CrossFit Games and longtime CrossFit uh, employee, head judge, all the things. Uh, welcome, Boz. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. And um, that's a lot of Aries in there. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, I got to tell you, one of the best experiences of my, my life was this year's CrossFit Games. Um, wow. I, I had a blast watching it live, um, being right there, uh, doing the media thing. You were so accessible uh, in the press conferences, and it just was really a joy this year. Well, thanks, man. That's really high praise. I mean, you know, the, I think what anybody who's in charge of a, a large event like that wants is that it's a good experience across the board. You know, obviously we've got a competition that we have to um, put at the forefront and that's got to be legit. That's always the lens that we look at where competition comes first. But as an extension of that, it has to be a great event for spectators and fans and, and athletes and coaches. So, uh, man, hearing hearing people like you that have been around the space for a long time, say things like that. It really does mean a lot. So thank you. So I know that you have been on uh, like every podcast in the world um, <laughs> and you have gone over the programming piece by piece. I don't want to repeat what everybody else has done. I want to, I want to do things in a kind of a couple waves. One, the journey up to the games. Mm -hmm. um, and so let's start with Dave Castro's fired. Justin Berg is named as his replacement but that he was not going to do all of the roles. How long was it after that, that you were approached to program the games? Uh, boy. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know that the granularity that people might want is something that really exists. You know, it's like, um, I, I don't really know how to start with that. It, it, CrossFit as an organization, <laughs> at least as far as my involvement with it has been for 15 years now, is that, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of aspects of the business where job descriptions and roles are, they're great on paper and they certainly inform what you do, but it is not at all the extent of what you do. And there's a ton of natural overlap between what lots of people do on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it's kind of a weird way to frame it just from my perspective, because it wasn't like, oh, well, this is totally out of left field and something that I was totally uninvolved with before that situation unfolded. Um, you know, I was already chipping in for quarterfinals and online semifinals, um, you know, things like that were already a big part of my, my current responsibilities when Dave got fired. And so there wasn't like a clear cut date on that. It was really, okay, this situation is unfolding. What are the responsibilities that we're going to have to uh, be delegated? And then who's going to be the most appropriate to do them? Uh, that, that's kind of how it fell out, you know? And, and, and in many ways, it was even more organic than that. It's like, it just um, just happened. So I, I, I don't know what to say beyond that. So I'm curious because, you know, obviously you and Dave are, are different people um, and you have your own styles and things like that. Um, I'm curious, you went a little bit more of a secretive route as far as your testing. And I just was wondering if you could kind of speak on that. Yeah, I, I don't know that it was more secretive. I think, okay. <laughs> I, I honestly feel the opposite. I think that many times Dave was a lot more um, kind of tight-lipped with with certain aspects of the season. I know that there had been, in recent years, you know, more kind of showing some of that and some kind of teaser videos that would come out of that process. But um, I don't think we were particularly more secretive this year. And, and like, frankly, on the kind of back end of it, we had more people that were shared on the process earlier as far as our production crew and our logistics team and things like that. So, yeah. Well, I will tell you this. You came to my hometown to test events. <laughs> 
I watch every social media account, every, and I did not know you were in town until uh, we interviewed Taylor Reber at mm. the games. Oh, great. To find out her thoughts on the events that were going on. And she revealed that she had tested them. Perfect. Mm-hmm. That, that means that uh, everybody was doing their job correctly. But yeah, we were locked away at a uh, you know location and uh, we basically didn't leave for a week. So there was a lot to get through and, and shout out to Taylor. She was awesome. Um, it was great having her as part of that team. Um, you know, I think we had 10 or 12 athletes total uh, during that course of that week. And, and it was awesome. So a lot of fun to come and be able to do that. Um, and it, that was one thing that we actually expanded on this year. We, we did a lot more testing with the age group division um, before we got on site. You know, those divisions historically have um, like their, I guess what's the best way to say it? Their program is usually the final pieces that get put into place. And one of the big goals this year was to try to integrate those divisions and the teams a little bit earlier so that we had that locked in uh, closer, no, further away from comp. Um, and part of that process was trying to test all of those divisions, uh, at that same time, which we did. So it was, it was really cool. I think you've taken us into a unique area, which I, I don't have in my notes, but I want to talk about how much are you involved in the programming for the age groups? Oh, hundred percent. I, uh, so this year I did everything. I did the individuals, teams and age groups, um, you know, the adaptive, uh, well, so the adaptive division you know, they were amended based on the base program that the age groupers did. And largely that was, uh, Alex Zirkenbach, um, working through that, but, you know, obviously working closely with me. Um, but yeah, I took the first crack at all the divisions. So yeah, this, this year at the games, it was, those were all my, my workouts and then obviously amended and changed based on input from the team and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, it was, it was me. Is, was that typical in the past? Um, it depends on the year. There's been years where it has. Um, in kind of the more modern games history, um, there's been people that kind of adopt different divisions. And so, again, there's been years where Dave had taken a pass and kind of handed off his initial thoughts to somebody that would finish them up. Um, and there's been years where the uh, age group divisions in particular had been the product of somebody completely different, you know, like, like Pat Sherwood did them one year, Eric O'Connor's done them for some years. Um, so there's been different people involved in that process. So part so, of, oh, go ahead, Scott. No, no, you, you. I was gonna say, so part of the CrossFit methodology, right, is to prepare for the unknown and be, and be mm-hmm. ready. So here we are at the CrossFit games and something that you can't control, which is the weather, right? Um, and so you had to make some of those last minute adjustments. I will say from our point of view, it didn't seem that that flustered you at all. I'm sure on the, internally, it certainly did. But how did you, um, did you have a team that helped kind of keep you calm in making those decisions or did, were you just kind of following your gut and, and with that? Well, I mean, I think the most honest answer is that we have a great team and there's a lot of faith in that team and that goes a long way as far as keeping you calm. So if you have trust that people are going to step up and give you inputs that help you make the best decisions and they're going to look at things calmly and rationally, I mean, it just follows that you try to do the same. So that's a huge aspect to it. Um, you know, and we prepared as much as we could for those situations. We, we had two separate weather delays, as everybody knows. The first one with the lightning, um, you know, honestly, was a bit of a blessing in disguise because despite the fact that it created kind of a weird disjoint in that particular day, we did get to do the tests that we wanted in the way that we wanted, uh, just, you know, albeit delayed one day. Um, it was really disappointing to me that we couldn't get to do the alpaca in its full version. And that was one of those things where, you know, I had to take a little bit of um, a slice of humility from the team. I was adamant that I, that we should push forward. But I was also admitting to the team that, you know, that's my bias. I, it's my baby, so to speak. I think we should do it. And, and after hearing inputs from various other members of the team, weighing that against, can we do a consistent and safe competition against the most competitive field in the world? You know, then that answer changes a little bit. And, um, you know, I think that day in particular, people get so hung up on the safety element. They're like, well, these guys are pros. They can climb in the rain. You're like, yeah, that's probably true. 
the safety consideration was just one element in that. And uh, on par with that, um, and depending on who you ask, might even be more significant, was the consistency element. You know, those ropes were not saturated completely evenly across the board. And so you had a couple of instances in some lanes where right below the tagline where the athletes would be holding on with one arm reaching for the finish of the rep that was completely soaked on one rope but it wasn't on the other and so that that's a very big difference when you're talking about something like a legless rope climb and and that was something that i don't think got communicated as well everybody just locked onto this oh safety thing it's like yeah that's an aspect but um you know consistency of the field was also another big one and um that that weighed pretty heavily sure so did you have um, people from your demo team try that out in the morning to see oh, yeah. what the results were? Yeah, straight up, I did too. I was climbing. I was out there climbing ropes. I think, I think Scuds actually got a uh, a, a candid of me climbing ropes in the rain <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and put it out there. I didn't know she was filming at the time, but yeah, we absolutely we did. We threw all those guys at it, gathered their input, um, and that's that's another thing that we do with the demo team pretty regularly when conditions change. We bring them out there. We did that with the uh, shuttle to overhead too. When when it was looking like we might be able to do it in the rain versus delay it a day, we brought the athletes out on the field. Said, "Okay, I want you guys to test this turf, see what it feels like to come into it, see what it feels like to do a couple of jerks. Obviously, not at full load, not at full intensity, but but what you as an athlete coming into that, what would you what would you honestly think about doing this? Gather that input, weigh that against input from other members of the team, and." Uh, you know, that's, that's what you have to do to make these decisions. You try to get the broadest view you can get the most information, um, from the people that are kind of focused on their particular domains and then weigh that against each other and move forward. So you infamously are known for the years of Roe versus Boz doing all the open workouts live in front of a camera because of that, how much did you test these workouts yourself? Oh, I mean, it, <laughs> I like to dabble. So we'll start there. I, you know, I'm a professional dabbler when it comes to my own physicality. Always have been, you know, I'm certainly not the fittest guy around, but I do okay. And so, you know, as far as did I play around with a lot of these workouts? Yes. Does it really help to flesh out a concept and get it to a point where you can actually put reps to it and timeframes and things like that to, to go and, and do it? Yes. Um, am I using my own personal experience and um i guess finish time or, or reps or whatever as data points that should be appropriate to the field absolutely not <laughs> so, so you just have to be really clear about what your uh, your aim is but i'll give you a great example you know the bike to work um test you know i that concept was one of the first ones that i'd come up with is like okay we're definitely going to do a long workout it's definitely going to have a long bike and it's definitely going to have a biking element and something else you know the workout um from 2020, the, the sprint repeater, bike repeater. I, I thought that was such a cool event. And what made it so cool is that you got to do a biking element and then something else along with it. But only five athletes got exposed to that due to the COVID year. And I thought, man, if we could do something like that on, an, on a more grand scale and expose the field to it, that'd be awesome. So anyway, I, uh, I started playing around with biking workouts. They're one of my favorite things to do anyway uh and so i started playing around with biking workouts way early in the season and uh, i had a bunch of different variations of that one of the most fun ones that i did was um three rounds for time 10 muscle ups 20 kettlebell deadlifts with uh 70s i think and then a three mile bike ride three rounds of that and it was a blast did that one around my neighborhood but am i looking at my times to inform times of the field absolutely not but to solidify concepts yeah it helps to get out there and get your hands dirty yeah so I had a question about, um, you know, we always get to see new elements in the programming and we, got, we definitely got to see a lot of really cool new elements with this. We've also heard in the past of people's um, questioning or remarking on judging inconsistency and all that. And I'm not here to make a task that specifically. I'm curious though, from a management standpoint, how do you prepare the judges for all these new implements and movements that you're kind of, um, like, are they just hearing about it right before it happens? And that's kind of how they learn the standards or how does that work as far as a management standpoint? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, most of the time, the judges are a couple of things. Number one, they're prepared in the sense that everybody that's at the games has experience in competition elsewhere. You know, these are not people that are just fresh. Mm -hmm. They, they have deep roots with CrossFit and many of them coach full time. Many of them do lots of other 
prominent competitions throughout the season. Um, you know, they're not people that are just there because they applied. Uh, there, there, there is a process there. So number one, they're generally prepared and they understand the demands of, you know, these movements uh, broadly. Specifically, there's always going to be some things that get a little bit turned upside down at the games, pun intended. <laughs> and um, the judges are going to learn about them a few days before the athletes. And that's kind of one of the things that's unseen by the public and unseen by athletes a lot of times is, you know, we have judges meetings that lead up before the event starts. They, they get together, they learn the workouts, they learn the movements. We have the demo team come in and help them look at repetitions talk about what's on the line, what's clearly good, what's what's clearly bad. Um, and those rehearsals are a big part of the lead up to the start of competition. That's what those guys are doing um, on those days that lead up to comp. So it's not like they're learning about this an hour before and then expected to do it on the field, nothing like that. Um, and so, yeah, they have a lot more lead than the athletes for sure. Yeah, from an experience point of view, and, and I, you probably know this, I started as a volunteer in 2014, uh, worked security, worked event, worked judging, all of that stuff. In 17, I was on the event team at North Park, and we knew the events ahead of time because we had to practice how to reset yep. everything yep. days ahead of. I mean, and, that's a, uh, that, not to cut you off, but but that's one of the things that is such an unsung story of every major event is how much complexity goes into getting those transitions right and how well orchestrated they have to be in order for that to happen. I mean, this is, we're talking about thousands of pounds of gear typically that needs to be in the right spot and could end up in some cases anywhere along the field. Uh, if you take time caps and things like that in consideration and you're running on real time and most of the time it's like two, three minutes max. And that's like, a, we're talking 120 to 180 seconds real, not eh ish or not eh, good enough, but no, it's in position and athletes are starting and that train's rolling. So yeah, there's a huge amount that goes on behind the scenes that I think the average person, I mean, frankly, they don't have to see that. And if we're doing our jobs right, they, they shouldn't, it should just come together and it's like, oh yeah, it happened. Um, anyway, I cut you off there. I didn't mean to, oh, no, <laughs> to no, interject. No. Perfect. It, a great example is in 17, we had strongman's fear. We had two minutes to re yeah, reset all of that equipment. And we ran it for days with being mm -hmm. stopwatched, just like an athlete, um, to make sure that our transition time was under two minutes. And that was some heavy, heavy shit. <laughs> yeah, straight up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. And so that's cool that you kind of let us know that the judges are the same way. Yeah. They kind of get it sure. a little bit ahead of time, get to practice with a little bit before they're actually out on the floor with it. Yep. So you mentioned your team a lot and it's funny because we, we've been talking about the weather. I took a picture of you and J-Mac uh, at North Park on day one. And the reason I even was focused on you guys is the weather was coming in and J-Mac was getting word and he was calling you over and other members of the team. And that's how I got that picture because I knew that there was something going on with the weather and he was calling you all in. Yeah. And it's, it was really cool to see that kind of behind the scenes too, of how the whole team came together, got noticed or got notified about everything and how you were going to handle it going forward. Yeah. And uh, like that is one of those interesting things where people talk about, well, to go back to your question earlier, Amy, about staying calm and things like that, you know, the weather delay on day one, it really, the decision was out of our hands. And, and what I mean by that is prior to comp, we'd already set up a protocol for what we're going to run, what conditions we're going to run and then what conditions we are going to not run. And we agreed upon that before competition starts, before the pressure of, you know, there's an incentive there that, no, we're going to stay on schedule and we're going to do what we said we're going to do. And that can pressure you in the moment to make a decision that might not be the best when you consider everything else going around campus. Sure. And so you have to kind of come up with those ahead of time and say, okay, you know, we have a strike zone. We've been informed by people that are professionals in this domain, and they think that it is not safe to, to operate under these conditions. Okay, great. We'll heed that. And then there is no decision. It's, it's, it's right. a very binary thing. It's like, okay, we are within the strike zone that we all agreed on before competition had started. Shut it down. And at that point, there's no stress behind that decision. It's how do we recover from it and move forward based on what is likely to happen 
with this dynamic situation. You know, is the, is the storm front going to pass in 30 minutes? Is this going to be three hours? You know, obviously there's going to create some different opportunities uh, for each one of those. But yeah, the, the major decision is already taken care of before you even get there. And that really does a lot to resolve some of the stress around it. So when you leading up to the games, you, you finally get the word that you're going to be programming the games. Did that start as a stressful thing? And then turn, it seemed like you're, I, I watched you on different shows and it seemed like you were stressful at first, but then it turned into fun at some point. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would say the first part of the year was very stressful. You know, we had this big change in leadership. Um, Dave's out of the picture, people on the team adopting new responsibilities. We still had all of the things that we had set out to do this season. And I mean, if you look at the calendar for our competition team specifically, uh, I'm trying to look at it right now. It's like, okay, we come out of the open, uh, let's see, March 10th, roughly, is the last date of the open. So week after that, we wrap it up. We have a week off, and then there's indie quarterfinals, a week off teams, a week off age groups, a week off. And then we're prepping for some of the online semis. And then those semifinals are running in addition to the online semis all the way through May. We have a last chance qualifier. And then we get just a little bit of breathing room and we're right at the games. So it's a full on sprint for a lot of our team to have that combined with new leadership and new responsibilities being passed around. Yeah, it's uh, it was pretty stressful initially. Um, it, was, it was really kind of a question of like, okay, how do you fit it in with everything else that we already have planned? And so I think for me, the, the most stressful period this year was probably like April through June, because at that point it was me on my own crafting what I think should be the expression of the games and really just kind of living on different digital documents, trying to piece this thing together. Now, obviously I've got people that I can reach out to and, and get their opinions and you know, it's, it's not happening in a vacuum, but largely it's, it's my job to curate that and to start getting all the concepts together. It's not until you get somewhere physically that you can start to share some of these things out that the stress started to relieve, at least for me. So one of the big milestones was a production meeting that we had um, on site in Madison. And then the testing week that we talked about a little bit earlier, because that's when you really start to see, all right, there's all this documentation, but it's beginning to become real. There's actually something tangible attached to this and other people know about it. And that kind of makes it real. Um, and you can see, you know, what's the reception for some of these ideas? What, what, what do people kind of glom onto when they hear it for the first time? What's the athlete response? Um, and not just, you know, how do they do in the test, but how do they respond when they hear about it? How do they respond when they uh, are introduced to new elements? Like all of these things you want to pay attention to as they're, as they're going on. Um, and once we got into that kind of brass tacks, ironing out the details, the stress resolved quite a bit. Um, by the time you get to the games, like if you've done your job right, yeah, it's stressful running an event, but the plan's already in place, you know, and you're already there. Um, so that hopefully is, uh, you know, it's just execution at that point, which to me was a lot less stressful than the run up and, and just trying to do right by what I know the event to be. So boss, how did you decompress? Oh man, I just, <laughs> I just got off a few weeks of doing absolutely nothing, which has been great. So I, uh, after the games, I took a couple weeks and, uh, that was it. I mean, I didn't answer emails. I didn't do much. I, you know, I jumped on a few podcasts here and there, but didn't do a lot. I, uh, we hung out here, um, at the house, my wife and I, you know, we, we thought maybe we'd go on vacation or do something like that, but no, we just had a little staycation yeah. with, uh, without a lot of, uh, externalities, which was awesome. Nice. Yeah. So, so how did it go with your wife and all the stress of what was coming up and you within the last year moved across the country? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The move was stressful. I mean, you know, that's always a big move when you uh, decide to end up somewhere different. Um, so yeah, it's funny at the beginning of the year, we were thinking, well, 2021, we moved and, you know, so there's always kind of a, the chaos and getting settled around that. We actually moved twice. You know, we moved once just to get to the new city, and then we moved again into a more permanent house once we arrived. So, it we we actually we've been in this house less than well, it'd be a year now. Um, anyway, so moving into 2022, it was like, okay, this will be great. It'll be a year that we can kind of catch our breath. It'll be just business as usual. 
and um, you know, one one that's just kind of straight down the pipe. And well, that obviously wasn't the case. So kind of thrown back into another uh, cowboy year a little bit. Um, so it's been a ride for sure. I don't know what the question was. <laughs> I kind of lost it there. Sorry. Like how how did your wife deal with the stress? Um, you know, uh, your your spouse deals with it just as sure. much as you do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I got to say all the cliche things. My wife is awesome. She's super supportive. Um, and, you know, to be perfectly frank, this is nothing new to her. Like we've been married for a long time. Uh, we got married before I ever got involved with CrossFit. And, um, you know, she's aware that it's dynamic sometimes. And I mean, there's been some amazing years with CrossFit. There's some, been some really rocky years with CrossFit. So it's not like this has been a uh, uh, out of left field experience. So it's it's one of those things where you're like, at the time, you're like, man, maybe this isn't the greatest thing. But then later on, when you experience something similar, it's like, well, I'm glad that we actually had a practice run at something like that. So <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Kat and I were actually talking before we got on air that your wife is one of the kindest and coolest <laughs> people we've ever met. Yeah. She's great. Yep. True story. <laughs> so you live in Nashville, you work out at East Nashville from time they to time. Yes. have a few athletes at East Nashville. Yeah. How hard was it to keep all of this a secret? Honestly, not hard at all workout? because I don't work out there that often when it's like crunch time. I mean, if you talk to anybody from CrossFit East Nashville, they'll be like, Adrian, who? Because I literally have not been there probably since like May. Uh, <laughs> and so I dropped in a couple of times uh, immediately following the games, um, but it's been mostly garage set sessions for that reason. You know, I've got kind of two things in the back of my mind. Um, as we get more and more into the most competitive portions of the season, you know, number one, um, you know, you just don't, obviously you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to say something to someone that now they have more information, you know, whether it's innocent or, or whatever. Uh, and then on the other end of that is, um, there's so much speculation around athletes and there's so many people that want to take a speculation and then spin it up into something that gets talked about enough that now it's de facto truth. And I would hate for that to be the case with a group of athletes that is working as hard as they are, that just because I happen to be there, um, the perception is strong enough that they have a leg up that now in the public eye, they do. And that's a real shame because those guys work hard enough that it shouldn't be in question. So I purposely keep a pretty healthy distance. Um, and I'm very aware that as we get deeper in the season, that that distance has to be further. So it was not hard at so, all. I mean, and, and okay. by the fact that like, I just didn't have contact with anybody. I was like, I'm, I just removed myself from that situation. And it's, and it's I would think it would be beneficial though, to be able to sort of observe them in their natural habitat, right? Some of the greatest athletes in the world, just to sort of figure some things out. No, no I, I disagree. And, and why I disagree is because it's always such a small slice. You know, I, I think um, that's another thing that's, I believe still true about CrossFit and the games and the way athletes train is like, yeah, there's a, there's an accepted kind of baseline as far as how people approach being competitive in the sport. And, you know, there's definitely some overlap, but there's also a lot of difference in the way that different camps are going to train. And so if you, the observer are looking at one camp and you're trying to base what you think the rest of the field is, on that one slice, it's either going to be biased or, you know, just not taking into consideration the full picture. So uh, I, I don't like that approach um, personally. And for the same reason well, that I think, um, you know, unless, unless you're committing to looking at all athletes that could be competitive equally, I don't think it's a good idea to kind of keep tabs on people's social media and see what they're doing. You know, what, what is more useful is taking a look at the competition results and saying, okay, like, where is the field generally? What's a standout performance look like in a weightlifting event? What's a standout performance look like in a, an endurance event, et cetera, so that you have a good sense of, of what needs to happen to challenge the field. But I think if you get too granular and you start looking at athletes individually, um, it can, it can creep in some, some things that aren't going to, uh, play out well. So I have, opinion. I have two more pre-questions and then we'll get, get to the game questions. A little bit. Oh, awesome. Okay. Pre, like pre-games <laughs> I got you. Yeah, yeah. Where where is the best place for you to think and curate ideas for events? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, my garage, you know, like you guys can see it behind me here. This, this is my workspace. I converted this into my office and kind of primary, uh, creative space, um, earlier in the year. And, um, that's great. You know, I can kind of have free reign of it. There's a giant whiteboard over here and they, you can move stuff around and lay it out and that putting things out in physical space helps a ton. So a lot of ideas come out from that. Um, but honestly, I get most of the conceptual ideas when I'm out doing other things and not necessarily thinking directly about the games. I'll give you a great example. You know, I was out this morning walking my dogs with my wife. Uh, there's a little coffee shop around the corner. We, we go there pretty regularly. And on the way home, we were talking about something totally unrelated and it popped an idea into my head. And, you know, I riffed on that a little bit with her. She's a fan of the sport as well. And before you know it, I've got something that I've written in my notebook at home. And I'm like, maybe that's something we can come back to and explore. But it wasn't my intent to talk about the games or even think about the games on that walk. It was just, you know, part of the normal routine. And there it is. And it's, I, I think it's true that you can't force some of these things um, on that scale. You know, if you want to talk about sitting down and doing like an open style workout, well, that can be a little bit more routine. Um, but like the larger, more creative, um, big scale type events that need to be more kind of spectacular. I think you can't force that stuff. When we had you on last time, your background is very diverse. Um, from <laughs> dabbler, circus, professional dabbler, <laughs> right? From the circus to, you know, I think some martial arts, I think some different things like that. How fun was it for you to kind of reminisce about your history in fitness? and coming up with all these ideas. And the follow-up to that is what percentage of the stuff that you came up with got put in the basket for later? Oh, percentage wise, I don't know, but I think it is funny. I've had a couple of people speculate both to me personally, and then, you know, kind of in the greater CrossFit world where they're like, man, there was a lot of stuff this year that was a little different. How's he going to have ideas for next year? And I'm, I just have to laugh at that because I'm like, there are so many things that that are still left unturned and so many things that I've always wanted to do then and still haven't had the opportunity to do. So no shortage of of stuff to play around with. Um, not concerned about that at all. Uh, as far as how much fun was it to kind of go back and explore some of these things? Oh, it was a blast. I mean, there, there there's been some of these elements that I've wanted to do forever. And, um, you know, some of these things that just haven't made their way in yet because it wasn't time because the field might not have been there yet. Um, or it just didn't fit with what we had going on. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I was so disappointed we could never do these things in the past. But it's just like, yeah, this would be an awesome opportunity at some point. And hey, since I'm in the driver's seat, what better time than now? Um, yeah, so that was a blast. It was a lot of fun to go back and, you know, just kind of think through some things that um, that could have been at other years and, and see if we could slide them in this year. So I know the way that the sport evolves, a lot of times you'll see things in the games and then eventually as the years go by, they end up in the open, right? Yep. Um, I need to know if I'm going to have to learn the double single switch over <laughs> jump rope thing because I will start now if I have to. Oh, come on now. I can't give away. It's like giving away a, a Christmas. You know what I mean? Like you can't open your presents early. Um, but yeah, it's I think that's absolutely nervous. true. You you see, that's okay. A little, little nervous is, is okay. It's motivation, right? Motivation for training. But I, I, it is absolutely true, though. You start to see the door opened with that kind of most prominent forward-facing group of athletes at the games. And then over time, the things that were really, really unique to them become just commonplace. I mean, that was true from the beginning. That was the, the old chest to bar in 2008 is a great example of that, you know? came out, oh man, we're going to do Fran with chest bar pull-ups. Mind-blowing. People are just totally unprepared for that and they fell apart. It was really hard for a lot of athletes. Some not so much. They were more prepared. But fast forward a couple of years and you tell the average person, hey, we're going to do a workout with chest bar pull-ups. They think nothing of it. So I think that's true for most things at the games. So now we get to the games and I, I have been singing your praises for the programming uh, all along and it's not to kiss your ass, but I will explain kind of why I thought that my theme coming out of the games was Boz is telling you to get outside the gym. And when I started CrossFit in 2011, we were in a 1000 square foot, tiny little box 
And whenever we had the opportunity to roll stuff out into the parking lot, we did. And we did farmer carries down the street. We did, you know, carried our barbells with us. We, and that's what this year's games reminded me of. Yeah. Those early years when we didn't have the space to have all the cool stuff inside. That's awesome. And you know, that really kind of gets my mind going in a few different directions. Um, number one, you know, there's obviously get the hundred words of fitness there. And at the end of it, it's learning play new sports. I think that's a big part of it. Um, both for just your general adaptability and, and the things that the kind of the gaps that are missed with the routine training that you do and are harder to develop, I think come through with trying new things, exploring different types of movements, stuff like that. Um, And I also think that people forget sometimes that we are not trying to test who is doing the thing specifically in the gym that they then do specifically in a test at a competition. We are looking for who is most well-prepared for the most things. And that definitively requires that some of those things are going to show up and they just, they couldn't have done them, at least not in that way or that combination or with that terrain or whatever. Um, And that's a big part of it. So you know, like getting outside the gym, yes, but also remembering that the training is there to prepare you for things that you might not be familiar with. And that is absolutely an appropriate part of the test. And it will be, in my opinion, part of the CrossFit Games forever, um, unless we're not doing our job right. And I think that's been true every single year. There's been elements that athletes come into it and they say, wow, haven't done it this way or haven't done it at all. Let's see if my training has prepared me as well as I thought it did. And I think there were many examples this year. Uh, sandbag event was one of the ones that comes to mind immediately where you had a lot of athletes that, uh, frankly, they didn't think that they could have done as well as they did. If you would have pulled them before the event and said, hey, you're going to make it to the 340 bag or whatever, they would have told you you're, you're out of your mind. But as a testament to their level of preparation, they rose to the challenge and they pull it off. And I tell you, how many of them had ever done a sandbag max effort lifting ladder like that? I mean, we're probably approaching zero and yet there they are doing it with these ridiculous weights in front of everybody. And, you know, at loads where if you were to go to a strongman competition and we're talking, you know, maybe not the super heavyweight top of the heap strongman, but you go to a strongman competition with, uh, with weight classes, like say an under 200 category for the men, that sort of thing. And I mean, that's going to be, very, very competitive at that level. Can Adrian, can you talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of how that test came about in terms of you planning it and executing? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we knew that, or I knew that I wanted to do a lifting event on Saturday. Uh, that format is a, it's a hit, you know, you have to test strength. Um, why not do it at a really pivotal moment in the competition? We're going to have lots of people there on Saturday night. You know, it's like that, that format is a win. Uh, the format of last person standing we've played with for the last couple of years. And that's also a win. I mean, it's, it always goes off really, really well. And from the testing standpoint, that kind of pressure on the athlete, that kind of max effort strength, uh, is absolutely a big part of it. So conceptually is like, yeah, that's, that's going to be there as a placeholder for the 2022 year. And that was there early. What wasn't there was what's the movement. What are the exact kind of details around this format? How are we going to get 40 people through it? We've never done it with that many people in, in like a last one standing type of event. Um, and, and the movement was kind of the last thing to come to that. And what I was waiting for was firming up the rest of the tests across the week to inform what was kind of not left over, but what was most appropriate to test at that time in that environment. And so there were a lot of things that kind of fell off the table. And, uh, when I started looking at it, it was like, well, the obvious play was going to be a cleaner jerk. You know, we've done the snatch, um, in that format before we've done a clean in that format before, like a clean and jerk naturally seems to follow. So I didn't want to be that predictable. And then looking at the amount of overhead work across the entire competition, that was another significant factor. Like, okay, there's already lots of overhead adding one more, um, of those elements. And there's probably not appropriate, And uh, so I just started thinking, like, what are other options that could be a little bit more, um, not necessarily unique, but just a little bit outside of what would be expected inside a group of expected criteria, you know? So we had a lot that was expected there, but the movement obviously was not. 
Um, and then I just started thinking, uh, you know, what, what could we do? And, and, um, that sandbag to shoulder, I've seen that and, you know, or an Atlas stone lift or an Atlas load. Um, I like how binary it is as far as like you either got it there, or you didn't for the most part. And uh, you know, some judging calls that people kind of dispute, that's fine. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really clear. It's like you got it to the shoulder or it didn't, there's not a lot there to really get behind that lift. Um, and I knew that it would be um, something that once people bought into the event, meaning they kind of stuck it out and saw what could happen, that it would be pretty spectacular. Um, so I don't, know. I don't know. Predicted, could you have predicted the people that finished towards the top? Maybe not the number one person, but like Nick Matthew and Jacqueline Dahlstrom yeah. coming in second in that event was mind-blowing. Because if it's yeah. a snatch or a clean and jerk, you know the top five. You may not yeah, know the order, but you know who they are. What's really and interesting there. I wouldn't there, put either one of them in one of those. I completely agree. And what's interesting there too is the people that won, you know, Guy and, well, I guess Guy and, and Nick tied, but um, Guy and uh, Danny Spiegel, you know, those are the ones that you would expect to win a strength test in that format. So it's interesting that you had kind of both. You had the expected winners for a pure strength event. You're like, yep, makes sense. Danny Spiegel, yep. You line those ladies up and you're like, yeah, she's going to be close to the top no matter how you're going to test strength. Like with the barbell, whatever, like she's she's in the mix, probably going to win it. Guy, same thing. I mean, that's been a staple of his competitive career so far. Um, so no surprise that they ended up on top. But yeah, the wild cards that kind of snuck in there and could figure out a way to apply their strengths and figure out a technique as it was unfolding. I mean, that was so cool to see. And I think that kind of harkens back to what I was talking about before, where these athletes, even if they're not specifically exposed to something, their level of preparation shines through, or at least it should. And when it does, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And I think you've talked before too about um, the tests aren't sort of the star of the show, that it's really the athletes that are, Mm -hmm. that are highlighted. And for sure, these athletes that were sort of unexpected got highlighted. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that event was just, uh, I mean, what a roller coaster, you know what I mean? And, and it, I, what I think was really cool too, and where, in my opinion, the biggest role of the dice was, um, was trying to not trying to, but just having the confidence that it would be a spectator friendly kind of spectacle of an event. Like it's as legit as it comes, right? You know, I mean, that's the sort of thing that's as ancient as as human beings. Pick that thing up, <laughs> get it to your shoulder, get it overhead. That's primal. You know, nobody's gonna uh, misunderstand what is going on there. But the maturity that it takes from an audience standpoint of seeing something through that, I mean, on the men's case, what was that like a ninety minute event almost? And it's a slow burn at the beginning. It's not that exciting until you get through. And it's not that exciting unless you've had that buildup that gets you to that end state. And so there is a certain kind of maturity, I think, that that has to be there for the audience. And that's a bit of a risk to put as your primary event on a what's arguably the most visible day and time of competition. So, yeah, I had to go for it a yeah. little bit. I feel like it's, you- it's going to make any barbell one rep max now just really boring <laughs> oh i totally disagree so no to way no way it's gonna be great it'll it'll they'll still have the same energy behind them i think um you know and and I that's true see- too you know what i mean like you can't uh there's there's always so many great events at the games and you go back and if you rewatch, you know pick your favorite year you go back and you're reminded you're like oh man that was so awesome and you watch it again and it's just as awesome and I think sometimes the recency bias that we have where we're like, oh, we just saw this like crazy sandbag event. What's ever going to top that? You're like, well, their performance is next year. You yeah. know, so I, I think it'll still be there. No, no question. So I, I think what makes it legendary is the David versus Goliath. Yes, at the end. for sure. And you yeah. can't you can't predict that. Right. It just has to naturally happen. Yeah. That's like Josh Bridges going against Rich Froning in push and pull. What, 2013, 14? Yeah. Oh man, you know, that was, ooh, that's a good one too. Right. And, but you, you can't plan for that. It just has to organically happen. Yeah. And it, you, you got lucky with that in the sandbag clean because you had it in both women and men. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, you know, one of the things I think about that sandbag event too, yeah, we 
call it luck, call it whatever. The fact that we had some, uh, athletes of a different stature and body type than you probably would have expected to be at the top of the field. Very, very cool to see hats off to them for being able to overcome that. Um, but on the other end, I do think that this is such a kind of man versus nature test at the same time. Like even if it was just the biggest and strongest visibly remaining in the field, the fact that what they're grappling with is so out of control and kind of epic, I think, I think it would have had a similar effect, you know, different, but, but I do think that this is kind of like a, there's an elemental thing there too, that regardless of outcome, I think it, it still would have been pretty dramatic. So, okay. We have a question from Thomas Radnai just joined. Has anyone asked about the scoring system? Would they ever switch to an actual performance gap based scoring? Yeah, we, uh, we don't have any plans um, currently to change the scoring system. Uh, we're pretty satisfied with it. I know there's a lot of people that kind of favor one or the other. I know the Z scoring uh, is a really popular topic these days in some circles. Um, and I've had some conversations with them, um, with Tyler and, and others. And, um, you know, I, I'm not convinced yet that it's a superior method. I think it still allows for um, athletes to have really strong performances that mask some of their comparatively weaker performances. And I still think it also creates a lot of complications when you have different formats of events. Uh, something like an AMRAP that has, uh, let's say, rope climbs, um, double unders, and something else. You know, when you have like a really, really expensive rep, let's call it, in, in like a rope climb versus 40, 50 double unders that are going to get ripped off in the same time frame. When you start to introduce a differential gap, often that's going to be rep based, it doesn't necessarily account for some of those things as well as it could. So it's an interesting idea. I don't think that um, it's it's a bad thing to explore these. And I know that there's some competitions that are using that as their primary scoring system. That's really cool. Uh, but we don't have any any plans to change in the near future. So I have a question. We, in, we intentionally wanted to wait to have you on so that it wasn't like a reactive uh, talk about the games, but more you've had a month to digest it all. Yep. Looking back, what do you say are your home runs and what are the events that you would want to tweak? Ooh, good question. Um, sandbag was an obvious home run. I think we nailed the capital. Um, I was really happy with... The pool workout was great. Um, I did not like Sunday morning. And I know that most of the conversation kind of centers around the individual divisions too. But, um, you know, I do, I, I kind of go through a similar process with the teams and age groupers in particular because I was responsible for them this year. Um, so that said, like all of Sunday morning was, was a, a letdown for me. I wish that we could have, um, you know, made that a little bit more true to what it was. Um, I'm trying to think what else the, Hey boss, let me interrupt you there yeah. just for the morning. Um, was if you, you broadcast on Sunday, right? Yes. That was the day of the broadcast. If there wasn't a broadcast, do you think you would have been able to do something to sort of make up for that legless rope climb? Yeah. The broadcast was definitely a compounding factor and one that was pretty hard to work around. I mean that, that, that there's so many people involved um, in that. And there's so many things that are external to us to make that a success that you really don't have much wiggle room once you've committed to what you're about to do. And so it was not possible within that window for us to change those workouts, to change those equipment loadouts, to change those transitions. That wasn't possible because we had to integrate with an external television show. Um, so we knew that that was kind of a not a write-off, but it was, that was, that ship was going to sail the way it was meant to sail. That's just non-negotiable there. It's too late. Um, and so, yeah, that did impact a lot of what we could do, uh, out on the field and, and at the end of the day. And I mean, there was lots of ideas that we kind of explored, um, to try to preserve the nature of that. Um, but at the end of the day, we had to make a decision and we had to do it knowing that, we didn't have a lot of wiggle room later. So yeah, big, big compounding factor. No question. Did you ever consider flipping the last two events? Uh, yes. You mean like ending with the, uh, the yoke one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we had talked about that, um, a little bit. Um, 
it was one of those things where it kind of was six of one, half a dozen the other. You know, that that event's so fast. Um, it's kind of harder, again, from a TV standpoint. Um, you know, you don't have as much time that you can kind of buy between heats and that sort of thing. Or while, while a heat's going on, you can't kind of go back and, and look at where the competition is. So there's that aspect. And I don't know, I, I go back and forth. Like, it's always kind of one of those hindsight things, too, where... It, you see like a really dramatic race between, for example, um, Roman Krennikov and Justin Medeiros on that, that last yoke carry. And I mean, man, that was about as loud as I've ever heard that Coliseum get super dramatic, really fun to watch, exciting, all of that stuff. And you, you see that unfold and you're like, well, that could have been a great final. And you're like, yeah, cool. But it also could have been anticlimactic and a dud if everybody's failing and one guy's a clear breakout and you know that could have played out six other different ways where you'd look at it in hindsight and say yeah it wasn't as exciting it landed right yeah, where i it think the, the hard part for as a spectator and this is the only criticism i have of the games no. is those, those final bars I, and i, I don't believe you i'm Jackie sure there's Pro. i'm sure there's something else <laughs> Honestly, from from it just got because you needed yeah. the high bar for taller athletes. Yeah, it was hard to tell who was in the lead. Yeah, fair enough. And I think that um, honestly, that to me was something that I I feel we really could have communicated a lot better to the public and the fans um, because that seemed to be a point of confusion, um, you know, to some of the broadcast team even, which is unfortunate. Because at the outset, it was like, yeah, that, that was agreed upon. Everybody knew it. Um, so the way it came off, I think, I think was a little more confusing than it needed to be, unfortunately. So you, other than Sunday morning, would you have tweaked any other workouts? Um, you know, we talked about going a little heavier on the hat trick for the dumbbells. Looking at the way the field performed, I think we could have, and it would have been nice to. Um, you know, I'm not super disappointed that we didn't. I think it was appropriate in the sense that we got a lot of people finishing, which needed to happen for that to be resolved in the way that it should have. If you had a bunch of people in the field failing on their different rounds and 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 getting time capped, it would have complicated and slowed down the the final tabulation process. Um, so when you consider it that way, I, I I think I'm happy where we landed. But do I think that we could have gone heavier? Absolutely, and that was the original plan. So that would have been kind of fun to see. Um, the skill speed ladder, I, it's funny, like catch me on different days and I'm like, yeah, it was totally appropriate. And then other days I'm like, yeah, I wish maybe we could have exposed the field to more of those skills. Um, so I go back and forth on that one. I think, I think as a concept, I really like it. Um, but I'm, I am interested in kind of exploring that in a different application. And then my final question is, um, for this aspect is Elizabeth elevate, elevated Elizabeth. Yeah. I considered that a home run. Oh, I love that in, one. In the Coliseum, that was so much fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. I'm biased, though. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a great, great event, for sure. So there I have two more. Wait, wait, wait. Was there a question associated with that one? I, I, you didn't mention that as a home run. Oh, I okay. It I as a home yeah, run. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, no, that I, I love that event. It was, yeah, it was great. And... That was one of the first times, well, that and the skill speed ladder, I guess, which happened on the same day, um, that I, I think it kind of started to get the story solidified about what the games ended up being, in my opinion. And, and this year's games was really about, hey, there's always somebody that can be in the mix that has a particular skill set that's a bit of an outlier that can disrupt the front runners. And I think you saw that over and over and over again, right? Like that that Elizabeth Elevated workout, uh, it we had some disruption in the points table there um the skill speed ladder same deal and so what it meant for those that ultimately ended up on the podium was that you had to keep pushing even if you had an event that didn't line up very well for you you had to fight for every point that you got and you had to be well-rounded it, it's not about i'm just going to come out and win multiple events back to back to back it's like no no no, no. other people are going to have events that line up for them and they're it's a home run they're not going to have those same events line up anywhere else. And they might not be a factor in the overall um, podium race, but you have to contend with that with different people in different events and still come out on top. And I think that's really cool. Well, and it was, it was noticed when Ariel is smiling doing that. 
Yeah. And Tia, the goat, is right beside her mm -hmm. struggling yep. with those last few rounds. Yep. And that was very evident. And then you got 10 different winners on both the men's and women's mm -hmm. side, which was so cool. Yeah. Because you got to see different people at least get some wins uh, over the weekend. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, just like every other games, you know, consistency is the winner. Consistency is what carries the day. Um, and so no changes there. Just at the micro level, you know, you had people kind of sneaking in every once in a while and, uh, and taking it to those people. And that was fun to watch. Um, a couple other home runs that are coming to mind now that we're talking about a little bit more. Um, I was really happy with uh, some of the team events that we were able to do this year. Um, I thought that they came off really, really well. You know, they got to use some equipment that they've never used in the past. Um, they got to do some formats that are a little bit unique. Uh, and so it was cool to offer them and the age groupers a little bit more of a unique loadout for their event. Um, age groupers and adaptive, you know, it's the first time they've got to use so much unique equipment that overlaps with the individual and team divisions. So I really like that aspect as well. I thought that was a, that was a home run in my opinion and uh, something that I'd like to continue doing in the future, integrating, you know, obviously it's probably not going to be the same events right across the board, but having elements that everybody has their hands on, you know, everybody gets to play with the parallel bars. Everybody gets to play with some of the obstacles on the field and stuff like that. I'm glad you mentioned that because we've had a few of the masters athletes on that, that won and they were so pumped that they got to do the same swimming event as the young kids is the way they put it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, that, what are I, your plans to continue that kind of theme? I loved the way that a um, consistent test carried. You know, that was a big concept that I wasn't sure. Um, like, I thought it'd be cool. I thought that, you know, for people that are really invested in the sport, being able to have that cross comparison would be interesting, something that they'd be into. Um, you know, I didn't really even consider it from the athlete standpoint as far as how much would love or hate doing what other competitors in other divisions are doing. I'm glad to hear that it came off well, but, um, now that the dust has settled, I love that as a concept. And, uh, I will more than looking for an opportunity to carry that theme forward where that's a staple of some of our larger competitions where you have something that everybody does consistently. I know we're coming up on the hour, so I want to get a couple more out before we get done. And, uh, the first one is uh, the bike, riding the bike through campus that allowed you to get from point A to point B really quick. But did it also offer you some me time to kind oh, yeah. of digest what was going on? Oh, 100%. You nailed it. The bike, the bike was money for so many reasons. You know, um, anybody who's worked or attended one of these big events, you know how much time you're spending on your feet. I mean, it's miles and miles and miles. I, I remember... Um, Mike G, he used to, uh, keep track of steps for us when we were on, um, you know, event time or whatever. And it, I mean, it was just an astronomical number that you'd rack up by the end of the day. And so having a bike where you could obviously cover distance quickly and, uh, not get so beat up by being on your feet all day, that was a huge aspect, but yeah, it was, it was a nice little bit of kind of reset time between what was happening at one venue or the other. You know, so we'd wrap up at North Park, whether it was good or bad or somewhere in the middle, hop on that bike, blast around to where I needed to be next, clear my head a little bit, get the heart rate up a little bit and be fresh as far as like mindset, mindset to uh, tackle what was next. So yeah, I, I love that. It was a clutch and I love riding my bike anyway. That's something that I've done since I was a kid. You know, I mean, I remember being in my teenage years and I wouldn't think anything of, of riding, you know. 20 miles to my friend's house out in the boonies and spending the night and then riding back in the morning. That was just what you did. So, yeah. So your predecessor spent a lot of the time during the games on the sidelines or like in the pit as being a former head judge, you you're used to kind of roaming the floor. And I noticed that you still kind of did that. And we're even talking to the head judges on the floor. How hard yeah. was it for you to disconnect from that old role? Oh, obviously tough. I mean, if you're catching me out there on the field, you can, I mean, that's your answer right there. Yeah. It's really hard to, um, kind of cut some of those old habits out. Um, and, and I mean, I, part of that too, is just the way that I think I'm always going to 
be involved. Like I can't be one of these people that just sits back and, and lets the ship go. Um, you know, I have to be pretty directly involved and, and hands-on and, and to the point sometimes where I, you know, people have to, you know, tell me politely, it's like, Hey, we got it, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's good too. Um, but I, I need to be hands-on. I need to be in the mix. And, um, obviously based on what I've done at the games previously, that's going to manifest in, in what I know. So yeah, that pretty hard to turn some of that off sometimes and pretty hard to just step back and, and let people do their jobs. But, um, yeah. And Hey, I figured I, at the end of the day, it's like, who's going to stop me from being out there. So <laughs> I figure as long as I'm not too much of a pain in the butt for, uh, for anybody else, uh, I I'm okay to be out there a little bit. I think you have enough experience navigating yeah. the floor <laughs> and not being in the way. Right. Um, so looking at the future, um, you've already said earlier in the show that you have ideas that you've put in the basket for future years already. Yep. Um, you're still coming up with ideas this morning on a walk with the dogs. How much more comfortable do you feel having a full year for next year's games and that you have one under your belt? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I guess I haven't really thought about it. I, it's nice to have a little bit more runway in the sense that I know what I'm going to be doing um, this season. We actually just got off of a, a couple of days of meetings to um, flesh out some of the season details and you know talk about some early planning for some of our bigger events and stuff like that. So um, it's nice to have that runway. I think that's the biggest factor for me, um, whether or not it's like a confidence boost or not. I don't know. I feel I'm very much like, <laughs> Hey, what have you done for me lately? You know what I mean? It's like, um, I, I quote one of my favorite bands, the Melvins, they, uh, th you know, they've been around forever. They've released a ton of different albums and, uh, their front man buzz. He talks about it all the time. He's like, yeah, what have you done for me lately? Like you're only as good as your last release. And, um, if you're not continuing to do that, um, what good are you to anybody? And so I, it's not that I've adopted that same approach, but I think that's just kind of naturally how I feel. It's like, you, what are you going to do? Like not do the work, not, not uh, step up, not be stoked about it, not, not get your hands dirty. Um, I don't know how to do that. Um, so for me, I guess I haven't really thought about it that much other than it's nice to have some runway and a little bit of certainty as to like, okay, you know, I know what the job is. And now we have a little bit more um, leeway to get it uh, earlier. Time's nice. So it, it would be pretty ballsy of me to ask what next season is going to look like. But I would like to know, when do you anticipate the rule book being out for the 2023 season? Yeah, we are going to have some announcements coming up in October. And then we'll have some more announcements coming out in November. And I, I don't mean to be coy with that, but it always is a bummer when you attach certain dates to certain things. And then as you get further along in the production of them, they have to move a little bit. And then everybody's saying, well, I heard it was this time, but it's not. So I'm going to keep it a little bit more um, vague. But yeah, you guys can expect uh, some, some big information coming out the pipe in October. And then in November, um, some other details. So then I'll make this super vague by the end of the year, <laughs> right will we know where the site is for the 24 CrossFit games. Yes. All being well, we should have that before everybody's in their holiday break. Awesome. Yep. So this is my last question. It is just a personal question. What was harder to move your Favorite gym equipment, no, joking. <laughs> your gym equipment or your records? Oh man. Gym equipment. By and large, uh, both annoying though. That's a, you know, it's funny you have, I, like, I don't collect a lot of stuff. Like I don't have a lot of stuff, but I have a lot of, a lot of games plates from past years. And I have a lot of records and you don't realize until you move, you're like, man, the, the only two things that I really do have materially that I care about are just the worst possible <laughs> objects to try to drag across the country with you. But yeah, the, uh, just the sheer volume of the plates that I have were pretty ridiculous. We had them actually all packed in the, uh, the truck. They went in first. So when I had the couple guys help me, uh, when we got to this end, I had to give them a pep talk at first. I'm like, Hey, look, like it's going to be pretty routine <laughs> for most of the day. It's not going to be that big of a deal, but let me tell you at the end, it's going to be a nightmare. And I apologize in advance. And they kind of laughed it off and I'm like, no, no, no. Like for real, it's going to be awful. And, and it was, and you know, it's just plates, lots of plates.
Uh, that was the other and thing I, too. If was, I remember right, when was, we had you on last time yeah. in your California garage, you have a plate from every year of the CrossFit Games hanging on the wall. Well, no, not hanging on the wall. Actually, I use them. Okay. Um, but oh, okay. I, it, it, for every year that they have um, issued a dated plate, I have gotten one. And so I believe they started in 2010. Um, might be 2009. Um, anyway, yeah. So it's uh, I've I've got I've got some plates from every year that there's been a date specific stamped plate. And it's one of those That's things really too, cool. where it's like, well, I can't get rid of them because how are you ever going to get those back? I mean, I can't. You're never going to be able to find a, a 2011 CrossFit Games plate. Um, so I, it's like I can't not carry them to the grave now. <laughs> so right. I'm, I'm kind of committed. And the record collection is in the hundreds. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's not as extreme as some people that that I know. I mean, I've got some friends that dwarf my record collection for sure. So, uh, it's actually not crazy, but records are heavy. People don't realize that until you have to move crates of them. You're like, wow, this is this is heavy, dense stuff. I have one more question that just came in, and I don't, and it's from Amy Hill, and it is. Any thoughts on going back to one age group online qualify for master's divisions between the open and the games? I've been seeing a lot of chatter amongst the master's athletes that it made it a long season. Yeah, that's, um, I guess, again, without giving any announcements out, because I don't think it's appropriate to do that. Uh, what I will say this year, uh, what we've done a lot more of is, is listening to different athletes from different divisions and weighing their input against our decisions. And it's one of those processes where, you know, we have our opinions about how things came off, but sometimes when you have people that give you their candid opinion, it's like, wow, that's a lot different than what I thought it would be. Um, and so we are trying to do a better job of, of letting some of those people chime in and weighing that against our decision. Now that doesn't mean that just because a couple of people feel it should be one way or the other, that we're going to change. Um, if we think that there's more utility in, in doing what we planned, um, but it's good to be aware of, of what is out there and what people want to engage with. So, um, yeah, I've, I've heard that too, but I've also heard the other that, you know, people really liked having a stage of the season that mirrored all the other divisions and that there's no difference. Um, if you're a master's team or individual, you've got the same stages of the season and it's easy to follow and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Awesome. Boz, I just want to thank you so much for jumping on with us. My this pleasure, man. This was a man. great conversation. I still have more notes, uh, but yeah. we'll save those for another conversation uh, later down the road. And uh, good luck in getting ready for next season. I hope you're rested and recovered and feeling good uh, for the rest of the year. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure chatting with you guys. You let me know when, uh, when we can do it again. All right. Bye, Boz. Thank you so much for joining Clydesdale Media for today's episode. If you like what you hear, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, and make sure you hit the notifier so you're the first to know when new episodes are out. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time with Clydesdale Media.